I beg your pardon. Aren't you Guy Haynes? My name is Bruno. Bruno Anthony. Want to hear one of my ideas for a perfect murder? Two fellows meet accidentally. No connection between them at all. Never saw each other before. Each one has somebody that he'd like to get rid of. So, they swap murders. Crisscross. Three Films on a Podcast has no claim of ownership on any film footage used in this episode. All film footage is owned in its entirety by the copyright holders and is used solely with the intent of film criticism, commentary, and education under fair use law. And just like every car in Too Fast, Too Furious, this podcast contains spoilers. Enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Three Films in a Podcast, the show where three friends work their way through new unseen movies to them through a unique round of choosing movies. Uh, today, as always, we have with us Tyler up in Portland. Hello, everybody. We have Matthew Weiler, full name. Down in Pleasant Grove. Uh, yeah. Hi. Oh, yeah. The full hello. Legal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hello. Hello, Matt. We're recording. Hello. <laughs> um, and as you can see, we have a very special guest with us. Hello. It's Ashley Hutchins. Hi. Um, and the MVP. The MVP is here, here to defend her title, even though this isn't a watch party, but. Um, <laughs> Today we are going over our last movie in the Hitchcock round. We're talking about 1951's Strangers on a Train, which was my pick. Um, I think this Hitchcock round has been a lot of fun. I know we're going to talk about it, you know, towards the end of the episode, but I was really glad to have picked this movie because this one kind of felt like the one that I had heard about the most, but that I wasn't very familiar with at all. Um, had I known that I hadn't seen it, maybe I would have picked Vertigo, but I'm glad we watched that anyway. Even though I thought I had watched it before. So um, <laughs> but I had a great time with Strangers on a Train. Um, let's just get into the episode. Matt, will you kind of give us a rundown of what the movie is about? I would love to. OK, I mean, if you're listening, uh, we're going to do this exercise. We do this every episode. Uh, just kidding. It's the first time we're doing it. Close your eyes. <laughs> it's 1951. Your parents are just a twinkle in your grandparents' eyes. And depending on when your parents are born, this might be the night. Uh, but meanwhile, your, par- your grandparents are going to the movies. Um, they're arguing on whether they go see Disney's Alice in Wonderland or Hitchcock's Strangers on a Train. And since it's 1951, your grandpa wins. And they go see Strangers on a Things. Strangers on a Train, not Strangers on a Things. <laughs> strangers on a Things. Coming to Netflix. <laughs> Season four. Strangers a on a Things. Of- <laughs> oh, okay. Coming to a Walmart bargain bin. <laughs> strangers it's on the Things. It's already there. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's been there for 20 years. Um, this is chrono- uh, chronologically in the middle of. Hitchcock's career, um, he had just, you know, so many movies coming out. Um, but this movie stars Guy Haynes, who, if if you're unfamiliar with this movie and these actors, um, sorry, it's Guy Haynes is the character, Farley Granger is the actor, and he's kind of a James Franco type. Um, I don't know if you guys have a better comparison, just trying to help people imagine this. I think that's uh, pretty spot on. He, he's a mid-major tennis pro, uh, maybe bigger, but everybody knows who he is. And he's on a train and he meets Bruno Antony. And that's played by Robert Walker, who is kind of a Mark Rylance type. 
Exactly. I'm glad you said that. That's who I kept thinking of the whole time. I know. Same here. And I don't even know who that is. I don't either. It's a. (sighs) We're gonna see him in Ready Player One because he's the main guy. Um, but he's all he's done stuff with Spielberg. He did Bridge of Spies. Oh, he's in Dunkirk. He's the guy on the boat. Yeah, 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 that's right. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he's the the older dude on the boat. Yeah, that's him. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So they're on a train. And Bruno brings up this crazy, bizarre murder for murder idea that he came up with. He's just like bothering guy. He comes with the guy. He's like, hey, I love your tennis. Like, you're a great tennis player. He's like, by the way, I see that you're getting divorced. (laughs) Maybe if you want to kill your wife, I can do it. And you can kill my dad. Mm. And that's how he introduces himself, basically. Um, I feel like Bruno was... subscribed to whatever version of TMZ there was back in the day. <laughs> oh, I was like, really? oh, he's having a rocky relationship and dating someone else. Let <laughs> me figure out. was reading on the train. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, this is perfect. <laughs> um, anyway, the movie, the, the movie basically goes that route. Uh, Bruno obviously is a pretty unhinged, not all there character. And you can imagine what would happen if he thought that they had come to some agreement that they hadn't. And that's the journey that Hitchcock takes us on. Yeah, I um before, you know, the movie's called Strangers on a Train and I knew nothing about it. I assumed it was going to be them on the train the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was happy that they I, I just the way that it all went down, I thought was really cool because I thought <clears throat> that once I saw what was happening in Bruno's propositioning uh, guy, maybe in more more than one way. Um, uh oh i lost my train of thought you guys didn't laugh at my joke train (laughs) maybe you guys didn't quite catch it maybe it wasn't a good joke that's okay um no i just assumed that it was going to be the the whole thing with like i thought guy was going to immediately agree with bruno and they were going to try and actually do this thing on the train somehow so i liked the way that it went it was way more fun i think to have it be uh something that guy wasn't actually trying to do it was, <laughs> took this like psychological turn i thought that was really cool yeah i thought we were getting like a murder on the orient express mm-hmm. type you know who done it thing um yeah so yeah it, it was cool though i i liked it a lot like it's you know subverted my expectations but yeah i mean matt you mentioned this came out you know like i mean this kicked off his 50s which like pulling up his imdb we got like dial in for murder rear window the man who knew too much hmm. and the two that we already watched vertigo and North by Northwest. Like all these are from the fifties. I mean, he really, I think kind of hit his prime. The forties has obviously some great stuff, notorious rope, Rebecca, you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. But I think the fifties and then 1960 is psycho. So it's like just on the tail end there. He was really, I think in his bag as the kids like to say in the fifties, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Uh, Wait, don't know. <laughs> <have> no idea. <laughs> um, yeah. One thing I wanted to go over though is just like some of Hitchcock's like classic uh, visual techniques because we see a few of those in this movie. Um, one that we saw a lot in Vertigo was the Dutch angle, where the camera is kind of like at a thirty degree angle um, that usually kind of signifies something bad is about to happen to our character. And we saw it here when Guy gets home and Bruno's across the street, like whispering to him through the gate. Guy. Guy. 
um, which I think was also like a cool parallel for, you know, being behind bars or whatever. So we saw that um, he's obviously really good. We, we've talked about his real time tension that he can cause, you know, by letting you letting things just play out. And for me, the best moment of this was um, the tennis match because, yeah. you know, guys trying to get out of there. He's like, oh, I'll hurry and beat him and go. <laughs> but like he has to go to five sets. And we're also crisscross like cutting the whole time to Bruno who lost the 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 lighter right like down the mm-hmm. down the yeah. grate so they're both going through their own kind of like tension and stress but it's just <laughs> so weird because I think in most sports things it's like oh who's gonna win or whatever but no one cares about that it's just like yeah. let's just get this over with like <laughs> yeah. he's just got to get out of here so I thought that was kind of a, a cool way to to bring some tension into it um, and then this movie also was really good about basically again like crisscross like the cutting between our two characters the intro we see both of them coming out of the car we see their shoes you know whatever and even throughout the movie there's you know we'll have a character who asks what the time is and then we cut to the other character who's miles away and he's looking at his watch or you know one says i could strangle her um, and then the other one is like making the strangling motions with his hands. Why did you look at me yeah. when you said that? Don't worry about it. <laughs> I could strangle her. Um, <laughs> but it, it's just so interesting. I mean, we we started watching the Hitchcock Truffaut documentary. Um, it's a, I mean, it's a really great book. And there was a part in there where Truffaut was like just talking about the structure of the film and all the duplicates and the duos and all that kind of stuff. And Hitchcock's response was like, isn't it a fascinating design? One could study it forever. I'm like, that's, that's so like confident, you know, of somebody <laughs> to say, but that guy knows what he's doing, you know, and he's a hundred percent correct. So, um, I don't know, you know, he's the master of suspense and rightfully so, but you know, we've all watched all three of these movies. I was kind of curious if there were any similarities or, you know, kind of like tie-ins between the three that any of you guys noticed um that kind of like carried over because hitchcock i i I feel like he's the kind of guy where you put on his movie and you know who it is so i'm just kind of curious what you guys noticed and also you know who who's our best comparison today as far as the director goes i know it's hard you know to live up to hitchcock but who who's kind of doing that stuff today and i'd like to pass that off to you um okay uh let's see here the things, the couple of things that I noticed that it wasn't in all three, but it was in North by Northwest and also Strangers on a Train. We talked about it where the guy was hanging off the cliff and then was it Martin Landau? Is that his name? Mm-hmm. Like steps on his fingers. And that's such a common thing that we see in movies now. But that was, I mean, so long ago. So. I have yeah. to wonder if that wasn't the first time we saw that. And then in the carousel scene where guys like hanging on and then um, Bruno again is like kicking at his hand, trying to like make him lose his grip. And yeah, it's very specific. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I feel like the first time I saw that was uh, in Batman and Jokers mm-hmm. just stepping on his fingers to fall off. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, that's all I can think of. So for me, that was the genesis of it. And it went back in time and yeah. made its way into Hitchcock, even though I know <laughs> it really happened the other way around. <laughs> but also, I mean, we didn't get like necessarily the stepping on the fingers, but the same fear of falling or letting go was for all sure. of what Vertigo is about, you know? Yeah. So that really mm-hmm. kind of carries over 
to all three the guy loved to let people fall in oh, his movies yeah. like but uh i mean as someone who has a fear of heights that tyler can attest to our mountainsides in kenya it's like sure you can. you go shoot that stuff i don't want to get within 30 feet of the edge there uh, uh, but i got you up there yeah you did we were there but I, like that, that stuff really like resonates with me and i feel like if i was directing horror movies that, or thrillers like that would be my same thing just like the fear of falling but um yeah. what about you tyler like what kind of stuff do you think carried through all three of these yeah um i know we talked about it in the last episode quite a bit but i just love his dedication to alcohol and <laughs> how important it is in his worlds and i don't know if that's a hitchcock thing or a 1950s thing or an american thing or all of the above but it just stuck out that it was just like every scene it felt like had some sort of alcohol in it. Um, and to me, I wrote on our little sheet that chance encounters were the, mm -hmm. were the thing that carried through uh, vertigo being an exception there, but all three of these films seem to hinge on some sort of encounter uh, with, with people with plans, right? Someone yeah. not expecting to be a part of someone else's plan and getting thrown into it. So I guess that's just the, uh, you know, the uh, randomness of life or whatever, you know, like he, he, he likes to take things that ostensibly could happen and then create something terrible out of them. Mm -hmm. That's that's definitely the thing I noticed, and I don't know if we're doing comparisons yet or not. But yeah, I mean, yeah, let's throw um, it all out. The only the only one I could really think of, uh, maybe I'm the wrong person to ask for this because I guess I just don't have the the recall or the 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 cinema knowledge. But uh, the first one that popped in my head, or the only one that popped in my head, was Jordan Peele mm -hmm. with, uh, and may, specifically because of the suspenseful nature of his films uh, compared to Hitchcock. And just the level of craft and, um, you know, the depth to the the storytelling, uh, specifically visually storytelling. Yeah. Um, to me, that's the easiest comparison. Um, I know when we watched Us, Alex and I watched Us, and then we watched um, just almost an, an equal amount of YouTube videos talking about the symbolism mm -hmm. and the breakdowns mm -hmm. and everything. And um yeah that's uh it's it's you can tell you can tell when you're watching the movie even though you're not picking it up consciously you can tell when you're watching a jordan peele movie that there's a lot going on and you're, you're taking in things that you don't even recognize and then so this it's this it's the same thing with with hitchcock although i don't mean this in like a, as a slight to hitchcock maybe more so just like a commentary on the availability of uh where where we were at in filmmaking and storytelling but there's it seems like there's less going on in a hitchcock movie but only because like he has you know hitchcock is building on what came before him and jordan peele builds on what came before him and you're able to pack more in because you have more knowledge or experience or whatever but yeah um yeah i think that totally makes i mean jordan peele if you think about it like with get out like he had 60 plus years of movies in between strangers on a train and get out, you know, to like reference, right. and especially like you said, with us, like that opening scene where we see all the VHSs that are next to the TV, they're just like literally like telling you what we're going to be talking or watching in this movie, you know, like, right. Um, the cannibal, like human underground dwellers, like Chud wasn't out when Hitchcock was making movies, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. but I also, 
I, th- I got thinking about that a lot while watching this documentary. I'm like, I wonder what Hitchcock would be doing today. And I feel like it's the same thing. You build off what came before you. And I just, I, I may be right. amazed to see what he could do today. Um, Matt, how about you? What, what similarities did you see in the, in the three and who, who's the Hitchcock right now? I mean, yeah, similarly to, I mean, kind of what's already been mentioned. Like I think Tyler said, like just kind of like these like common fears or discomforts. Um, yeah. The fear of heights um, in uh, North by Northwest, like this, like totally random, like I, you get mistaken identity, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. And then in this this one, it's like you meet a total psycho, you know, on the train and and all of a sudden, like you're intertwined in this like murder plot. Like yeah. these are yeah. these are things that you wouldn't normally necessarily worry about. But now all of a sudden you're seeing it happen. And it's like, oh, shoot, I got to watch out who I'm talking to. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Man. I I don't talk to anyone on a train, <laughs> yeah. public transportation or airplanes or any of that. Because, mm-hmm. and maybe not because I'm worried about they're gonna be a murderer, but you just you never know what you're gonna get with people, man. And Hitchcock can can drill right into the the meat of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think I didn't think of Jordan Peele um, right off the bat, but I think if he fits perfectly, um, like Tyler said, and Jordan yeah. Peele kind of like has his recipe. You know, he's got mm-hmm. sort of like this horror suspense but also like calm like he almost has like some comedic stuff in there and then it's always very themey by the way i i would have voted for obama for a third term if i could yeah Um, yeah and so i felt like jordan peele's like he is kind of like yeah to me like a modern day hitchcock and the thing is hitchcock has some humor himself you know like Mm -hmm. for sure there's some really funny stuff in there and honestly like this movie basically was remixed and remade in the mid nineties and it was the cable guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. a really good yeah, call. Yeah. I thought about mm-hmm. that. It's, I forgot about that. I remember thinking that. Yeah. And yeah, you're, you're spot on. Like, especially when like they, when he goes to like the table and there's Bruno sitting with like his family. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, yeah. this is just like the cable guy. <laughs> you guys yeah. play here too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's really kind of its own little sub genre. Like, um, single white female and mm-hmm. swim fan, just kind of like this obsessive person, kind of worms their way into somebody's life and just takes it over and gaslights everyone. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of I, I love those movies. Yeah, I mean, that's spe- awesome. Speaking of like worming your way in, the director that I thought of, it was mainly due to like his composition and the way that he uses the camera to tell the story. Um, but I think, you know, some of the movies he's made, I could see Hitchcock making as well. And that's Bong Joon-ho, you mm-hmm. know, with Parasite, with yeah. Mother. Um, we watched The Host. And like, I, they're they're like thrillers, but they're not necessarily like horror movies. Mm-hmm. So I feel like yeah. it kind of falls. Like, I could easily see Hitchcock making Parasite. Like, oh, yeah. like it's oh, a, for sure. easy easy enough, you know, for that comparison to be made. So that's kind of what I thought of. I'm, I'm not super well-versed on Bong Joon-ho, like seeing that in Snowpiercer and stuff. But I just... I don't know. That was the first guy yeah. I thought of. I'm like, he, he knows how to use the camera. He knows how to compose a shot. And also just to like, like we talked about before, have everyday people, you know, kind of be our, our main either villain or just like who we're here with. It doesn't have to be anyone spectacular, so to speak. But um, yeah. speaking of having humor in there, I just want to say like my favorite thing from North by Northwest, I think is when the cops take him to the precinct and he's like, thanks for the ride fellas. <laughs> it's like, he's he got some real humor in there. Me. Oh, he's so good. It reminded me of, uh, I, I feel like I referenced Rick and Morty so much on this show, but there's a part where Rick and Morty are, they're being killed or something mm-hmm. and they're cracking off one-liners and they talk, Rick even says, Oh, we're getting some, 
we're getting some good hits in <laughs> while, while we're being choked at that. I don't so remember funny. exactly what it is, but it just, that's what uh, North by Northwest reminded me. I kept thinking that like, man, he's getting some real shots. in. Yeah. While, you know? He's going out. Just like, let it, let it go. But, um, Getting back to strangers on a train, I wanted to talk about. Do you have something to say? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, sorry. Nope, we're moving on. <laughs> well, I didn't throw into, or I didn't get to say my. Oh yeah, sorry. Yeah, who's your day. director? Um, I'm embarrassed. I can't remember his name, but he did Hereditary and. Um, Ari Aster. Yes, Ari. I was mm. thinking Rory. Ro- that's yeah. his brother, Rory Aster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think they do cross the line into a little bit more like horror and like grotesque but there i mean i've seen both of those movies multiple times and every time i'm like nervous yeah <laughs> i'll have to take your word for it yeah, i don't <laughs> yeah i, don't I think, think like alex it. and i started watching midsummer but uh we stopped for some reason i was actually into it but anyways uh, yeah i loved midsummer and i think hitchcock could do that too because it's like it's the thriller movie but it's all during the day you know and normally all these horror movies you have to like the element of nighttime and stuff but this is just like bright lights the whole time and it's still a real thriller so um yeah i think it's a great i think ari aster is a great comparison as well Um, i didn't mean to derail you okay so (laughs) (laughs) um okay (laughs) So back to strangers on a train. <laughs> I wanted to talk about Bruno a little bit. Um, when Ooh, yes. Truffaut and Hitchcock were talking, they got to strangers on a train. Truffaut said to Hitchcock, like one senses that you prefer the villain. And Hitchcock's response was, oh, naturally. And I, I mean, it's like, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? There's so many times like, I mean, obviously the first example that comes to my mind is the Joker just because how charismatic he was in like the dark Knight, And you're just like, you're, uh, you're attached to him, at least like seeing what he does, not necessarily that you like him or anything, but like the villains are always kind of exciting. You know, if you have a bad villain, what's the point of the movie, you know, but I, I just wanted to talk about that. Like, why are the villains so much more intriguing? What makes us like them? Like, how did you feel about Bruno? Cause I felt the same way during like the party, you know, when he's like, Oh, how would you kill someone? You know, I was like, Oh, he's like warming his way into this guy's life. Um, but I was still charmed by it. So yeah. I mean, what are your thoughts on how we feel about villains? Well, this villain in particular, I think is really magnetic. And I think for whatever reason, I think casting plays a huge part in good villains and, this guy's backstory is insane. Robert Walker, right? Mm-hmm. So I was, I he looked familiar and I was trying to figure out where I knew him from. And I noticed, fun fact, he was born in Salt Lake. Interesting. That is oh. fun. I remember, yeah, I did remember, I did see that. Yeah. And then he wow. died when he was like 32. And I was like, wow, that's really interesting. That's so young. What happened? And I got reading about it. And this guy had a wild life. Like he had some severe behavioral issues when he was in school and got expelled from school multiple times. Hmm. He um, got married and had this really toxic, tumultuous relationship with his wife. And then she kind of like left him for this other filmmaker. And, oh, whoa. And then he was Alfred like, Hitchcock. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of his name. It starts with an S. 
I'm awful with names. Steven Spielberg? No. Um, Soderbergh. (laughs) So she kind of left him for this other man, and he agreed to be in a film with her directed by this guy. He was just like really, he tortured himself, drove himself crazy. He had to be hospitalized. And then after this movie came out, um, (laughs) he was like in the middle of an episode. Like he was upset and his secretary called his psychiatrist and the psychiatrist came over and like to calm him down, gave him um, some sort of injection to like mellow things out. And because he'd been drinking earlier in the day, Mm. like he OD'd and that's how he died. Oh, wow. So like this unhinged character, I think I have to assume that like he brought in so much reality from his own life that like it transformed the entire thing. Yeah, it's it'd be hard not to. Yeah, it would be hard not to. If you're playing something Jeez. so dark, and you have so much dark material to work with, like, you, use it if you've got it. I guess, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, and everyone else in this movie is so boring. I thought, yeah. except for yeah. the other villain, Miriam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved her. She's like this dorky girl with these huge ass glasses oh right 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 yeah and then she's just like oh i'm gonna go on a three-way in the tunnel of love (laughs) i'm gonna fake a pregnancy i'm gonna steal your money and not get divorced from miriam Miriam. classic miriam (laughs) but like they're just so interesting and then guy is boring it's like who cares about this guy who plays tennis for a living milk toast and then Anne. oh my dad's a senator and he doesn't care if i'm having a public affair with his tennis pro <laughs> anyway, <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, they're just so much more interesting. Like, Guy and Anne are very forgettable. Yeah, I agree. I agree. What are your thoughts, Matt? No, I think one thing that's interesting about villains to me, at least good villains, are I, I like it when they don't try to like give a villain a set of rules. I think that's what makes them more interesting is when they don't have a set of rules. When you can kind of do whatever you want with them. I think especially today with like comic book movies where we're we're working with like archetypes and villains and stuff like that, where like we almost try to give them like rules to follow. Like, oh, this villain would never do that because he believes this. Mm -hmm. But to me, that's less interesting because it takes away so much of the it takes away a lot of the surprise. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you had no idea what Bruno was going to do in this movie. He's like. And that scene where they're at the tennis match and like everyone's looking back and forth and you just see Bruno yeah. staring like that was like tripping me out. It's like, yeah, what's going to happen? What's this guy going to do next? That's and my then, yeah, favorite like, shot of the whole. Movie. Oh, so good. I yeah. love that. So shot. good. And it's like they're not villains, but it's comparable to the uh, Ocean's Eleven shot, you know, when the hotels are blowing up and then Danny and Linus keep watching Terry up on the stage, but everyone else turns around to watch it blow up. I feel like this was like a direct reflection or that was a direct reflection of this from the tennis match. I love that shot so much. I'm glad you mentioned the oceans 11 shot. Cause when I saw the tennis shot, uh, it immediately blew me away, even though I forgot to mention it in my letterboxd review. Uh, I had to go back and edit it, but I, I knew I'd seen that somewhere else and I couldn't remember where, Uh, and it makes sense that it was oceans 11 since I've seen it recently, but it's very effective, man, Mm -hmm. because you want to follow you naturally try to follow the eyes of the person that's on your screen. And when there's so many eyes and they're all doing one thing, but one person's not, it's, it really, it, 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 it trips you mm-hmm. out and messes with your head. And it's, it's really cool stuff, man. Hitchcock 
He's cool. Yeah, way cool. <laughs> but yeah, so Hot Bruno. <laughs> Yeah. Hitchcock take, is cool. Hitchcock. Cool. Tell the three films pod for our hot takes. Yeah. Hitchcock's good. Hitchcock, Hitchcock is cool. cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Bruno, you know, very little regard for human life. Uh, makes me wonder if Tom Morello and Zach De La Rocha were listening to or watching this movie when they wrote uh, How I Could Just Kill a Man. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, we were talking earlier, Matt, you and I, about. Uh, Falcon the Winter Soldier and just the idea. Hold on, spoilers! I haven't seen the latest episode yet. No, this is not. Yeah, just about. Uh, <laughs> I mean, essentially superheroes in general, but we we get a lot of stuff. You know, like with Black Panther or the first Iron Man's. Like we we just get the evil version of whoever our hero is. You know, which right. like the mirror, like oh, this is the bad guy. It's like eh, it's just not that interesting. Like mm-hmm. they kind of have the same skills. This guy just wants something different. Like it's not that fun. Whereas mm-hmm. in this case, you know, I think in just other good movies, it's like if if the villain has a, a I don't know, almost like an agent of chaos kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. it's like there's no real rhyme or reason, or they're willing to do anything. Like they don't have mm-hmm. the morals of like oh well, they won't go this far. It's like no, if you're a bad guy, like you've got to you got to be willing to do whatever it takes. And I think, I don't know who the actor was. I'm sure a lot of them have said that, but you know, the, the best thing, you know, when it comes to playing a villain, is just feeling like you yourself are the good guy. Like you really believe in your reason. And I think that's what makes a good villain. Someone who is just like really dedicated to what they want. And they're willing to go to any lengths to make it happen, you know, including to like, you know, showing up at dinner parties or, you know, <laughs> the tennis match with the family, like you're, you'll, you'll throw yourself in just to, you know, mess with the other guy. So, yeah. 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 It keeps the audience guessing. Well, yeah. I, I remember like, so, and this is not throwing any shade on the Marvel movies. Cause I absolutely love them. If anyone knows me. Um, but my son, after watching infinity war, after spoilers, Thanos kills Gamora and he's like <laughs> crying. Like Tommy was like, so confused. Mm-hmm. He was like, mm-hmm. wait, but he feels bad. And he's, so he's, yeah. is he good? I'm like, no, a good bad guy. There's no question he's bad. Yeah. Like, yeah. You're not confusing the audience at all. You're not trying to necessarily sympathize. I know that's a thing right now where you sympathize with the bad guy, but mm-hmm. um, I just, I really just like the, where they just keep you guessing the whole time. You have no idea what to expect, what this person's going to do. Absolutely. I mean, I was blown at like, I, I remember nothing about this film other than Bruno Antony. And that's yeah. not true. I do remember a lot of this film, most of it. But when I think about it, I just think of Bruno. Mm-hmm. Um, he's incredible. And I'm, I'm surprised. It's like I was thinking about him like he's, he's on my list of like creepiest creeps yeah. in films. You know, <laughs> like I'd put him up there with like Anton Chigurh and, and, and some of the other like the Joker, mm-hmm. you know, some of the. Mm-hmm. Because of like what's Matt saying is like they don't seem to have any rules. They you don't know what to expect out of them. Yeah, and they're like magnetic. Like for whatever reason, you want to see what they're gonna do, mm-hmm. even though you're like terrified of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot of like that's why people gravitate towards, or the reason why people gravitate towards a villain is the same reason that we would be uh, enthralled by a Hitchcock movie or some, a story so suspenseful, right. Is it's just like, it's more interesting than real life. I mean, real life is you talk to the guy on the train and he's just kind of annoying and then you never see him again. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, some, you know, obviously in this movie, it's much different than that. So there's just that little bit of intrigue, like what could happen. Yeah. Right. Like what could be behind, like what could be this guy's motivations. And then when we see a villain play out on screen, that is, you know, if, if Bruno talked to you on the train, you'd probably talk to him and you probably would like him because mm-hmm. he's weird. He's quirky. He's funny. And you just be like, well, who's that guy? Yeah. You talk about him forever, you know? Uh, and then unfortunately he becomes a huge part <laughs> of your life in this movie. But I don't know. I just, I was blown away by Robert Walker. I was really sad to learn that he passed away early. I didn't know the depth of it. So thank you, Ashley, for keeping me abreast. But um, yeah, I, I think my favorite part, my favorite shot of Bruno, I, I just loved how, Bruno was always, as soon as you met him, he was always in the back of your mind. Mm-hmm. Even when he wasn't, when he was on screen, obviously mm-hmm. he's in the forefront, but uh, he's always there. Like what, what is Bruno going to do next? Where is he? What's he doing? And the shot of him standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial oh, as guy gets into the car and drives away. Like to me, that actually comes to mind before the tennis shot, because it was just so, I mean, he's on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. Right. And it's such a a grand scene and it's so well framed, but you're drawn to Bruno, like despite where they are and despite like he, he overshadows and overpowers the location, which is pretty incredible considering the location, right? Like it, the, it, it, to me, despite just being like a cool backdrop and a cool frame, it was, it was showing like, here's how powerful this person's presence is in our story because who cares about everything else Mm -hmm. behind him and actually that's another thing that i noticed we talked about is uh hitchcock's use of uh important landmarks yes important Mm. important american landmarks i forgot to mention that earlier and i think this one was used so specifically and so well because we didn't get a Mm. close shot of bruno at all like we're far away from him the whole time but you know exactly who that is you know yeah but it's like yeah he's (laughs) surrounded by this huge monument but at the same time, like he's the focus of the screen. He almost seemed bigger than what yeah. he was standing next to, which is pretty incredible. That's crazy. Do you have any favorite Bruno moments? Um, I rewatched it today and I don't know if it's my favorite moment, but it stuck out to me as interesting because it showed us um, sort of early on his relationship with his parents and his mom. Mm. And his dad. So weird. And it's like, I don't understand. I mean, his dad's not exactly nice, but I don't know if he's worthy to be murdered. (laughs) Yeah. But then, you know, his mom, she's obviously a little bit unhinged because she's like so obsessed with painting. And, you know, she shows him what she's working on. And it's like this insane (laughs) thing. And he starts laughing immediately. And he's like, oh, you captured dad perfectly. And she's like. (laughs) Oh, I was painting St. Francis or something. So <laughs> yeah. it's like she, you know, he comes from a a family of mental issues. So I just, I yeah. thought that was really interesting. How about you, Matt? Do you have any favorite Bruno? I was kind of on the fly here, but I'm kind of curious what everyone's favorites were. Um, well, I, I think I really love um, what directors did with black and white film. Um, with lighting and like you just don't get the same effect today and mm-hmm. i loved across the street you already mentioned this scene when bruno's mm-hmm. he's he's got murder 
murder on yeah. his countenance. Yeah. And he's just oh, right, 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 staring right. through those bars and like the lighting mm-hmm. when when uh um uh, who's the big character? Guy. 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 <laughs> Let's just call him Guy. The most, I don't know what his name is. <laughs> the most generic. Um guy goes over to talk to him and just like that whole encounter, that scene just yeah. stuck with me. I mean, speaking of the lighting and stuff, like when Guy goes to tell Bruno's dad about it, mm-hmm. you know, and Bruno like sits up in the bed, it's like completely black. Then he turns on the oh, lamp, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, yeah. oh, I knew you were going to do this. I'm like, oh man, it's so good. But <laughs> I think my favorite Bruno stuff was just his presence at the fair. Um, yeah. Well, you know, when she, like Mary would look back and see him standing there, then like she, the world's slowest yeah. chase, scene. slowest. Yeah. But yeah. I think she's like, oh, so is good. this guy flirting with me? Like he keeps kind of following me around and pops the balloon you know, with the like cigarette. That. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. That that was a great shot. And then like hitting the bell, I don't know, with the sledgehammer thing and I don't know, just all this kind of stuff. And I think if she goes from maybe feeling a little paranoid to being like, oh, maybe this guy is like just working up the courage to talk to me. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. I'll be a little flirty and then I don't know. I just, I loved all that. Cause yeah, like you said, it's like that thing where you can run as fast as you want, but the bad guy's just still there. Obviously they weren't running, but wherever they went, he was just kind of there. But, and how oblivious were those boys? Oh my God. Like <laughs> she is the object of both of their affection and they can't tell that she's not looking at either of them. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I don't know that, that really yeah. stuck out to me. I don't know where you were going to go next, but I wanted to talk about something reg- re- related to lighting that I was like so mad. I didn't mention in our vertigo episode. Um, and I, I love Hitchcock's use of light in all his films, but do you remember the scene when they're in the bookstore and as the book, uh, the, the store owner is telling the story, telling some in story vertigo? We're about? in okay, vertigo. Yeah. And as he's telling the story, the lights dim yeah. as it gets creepier and creepier. And then when they walk out, and then the lights pop back on. And I remember while it was happening in the moment, I was like, is this what he's doing? Is this happening? Yeah. I was like, wait, the lights are dimming. And it's like, I don't know. Like I just Alfred. thought it was so cool. <laughs> was that his name? No, Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the director's name. Yeah. Alfred. I was trying to remember the shopkeeper's oh, name, but yeah. yeah. That'd be cool it's, if he's named him his own name. It's it's a it's a it's a funny thing to say out loud especially in a movie about podcasts but i'm constantly surprised wait did i say a movie about yep. podcasts i'm just gonna let you go with it but uh yeah. especially in a movie about podcasts <laughs> it's, it's it's did you consciously I, just do it again yeah okay good. i was like wait does he notice <laughs> i just i i was i can't believe how often i was surprised that hitchcock was good at something yeah. you know what i mean like i know he's a legend yeah. but i think i have this like sort of um uh, condescending attitude towards films made in, you know, in the past, a lot, like, you know, a lot of people do, a lot mm-hmm. of people disregard older movies and I'm like, Oh wait, they knew how to do this then. Like yeah. they took these things into consideration. Like for me, film was born in 1993. The first time I saw Jurassic park or what, you know, yeah. like the first time I saw Batman, that's when they started making movies. So I don't know. I, it's been really fun to go back and, and realize that like there's been some true masters of this craft and it's it's really fun to watch it really is like my dumb brain when that was happening was like oh man production like the lights just must be going down but this was the one good take they got so he kept it in there and then thinking about it after it's like no what like why would you do that like this isn't a student film you know (laughs) it's like i don't know we got the best take let's just keep it even though the lights were dimming like I don't no, know. It kind of works, I guess. It's yeah. a creepy story. People so. think it is intentionally. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
one thing I did want to talk about was my favorite character, uh, Babs, Barbara. Babs. She was something else. I could not figure <laughs> out her age because when she made everyone drink, she made herself a drink. I was like, I feel like she's 14 or something. I don't know how old she is. But she's like, yeah, I'll join you guys for a bourbon. Um, she was awesome. But it was interesting for me to learn that that's Hitchcock's actual mm. daughter. Um, and I, I forgot to look at her name. Patricia. Patricia Hitchcock. Exactly. Thank you. Um, but I mean, I thought she was great in this, but in, you know, limited research I did too, just learned the cast and crew uh, basically loved the way that she was treated on set. Like it wasn't any sort of nepotism or favoritism. You know, uh, Patricia had said in other interviews, like when we went home, we didn't talk about the movie at all. Like it wasn't just till the next day on set, like just treated her like an actor, which was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but that just kind of got me thinking, you know, like Hitchcock also has kind of a weird relationship, at least in the public eye with his wife, because she was so she was behind every movie that he did. Um, I watched today his AFI Lifetime Achievement Award that he got in 1979, I think. And he ended it by saying, like, I just want to thank four people. First of the four is a film editor. The second is a script writer. The third is the mother of my daughter, Pat. And the fourth is as fine a cook as ever performed miracles in a domestic kitchen. And their names are Alma Revel. And it's like, oh, that's really cool. That leaks like he was finally able to like really acknowledge her, like the whole movie Hitchcock with, um, I can't think of his name, Hannibal Lecter. I can't think of it. Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. And Helen Mirren plays Alma and it's really Mm. about their relationship and how involved she was with everything. But all that said, I just kind of wanted to like have a lighter topic and just kind of talk about some of our favorite actual families in the film industry um and you know just who who we like who we know about whatever um tyler i'm gonna throw it to you for that well thanks uh there's a lot of good ones and i you guys are going to talk about uh a, a lot of the ones that i like but uh the first ones that come to mind for me is the wilson brothers uh specifically mm-hmm. the in the tenenbaum movies um mm, bottle rocket think, yeah mm-hmm. yeah bottle rocket and uh i don't know they're I feel like these are there in all of them, but yeah. I know that's not true. Um, but you know, I really love those guys. Owen Wilson's great. Um, Luke Wilson's awesome. Uh, and the Apatows, I think it's really sweet how, um, you know, he puts Leslie Mann in all of his movies and she's so awesome and funny and beautiful. And the kids are really funny and that he allows them to do those things and say those things. And uh, I don't know. I think that, I just think it's really sweet. And it's uh it's a plus that they're all very talented and also kind of annoying. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's annoying that they are so talented. Mm-hmm. They are not annoying. Um, uh, I wrote the Afflecks down. I actually don't know if I really care about them other than the goodwill hunting. And by care about them, I mean, care about them is working together. And I don't even know if they work together that often, but uh, that's one specific instance. And um. I actually don't have any feelings about this next pair, but Emilio Estevez and Charlie Sheen, I threw in here and I threw, I threw that in there because uh, my dad looks like Emilio Estevez <laughs> and it's become kind of a running joke throughout his whole life. And uh, I'll try and find it so we can post it on the video. But a friend of the pod, Ryan Swenson made a funny, a really funny uh, Photoshop of 
my dad on Emilio Estevez's body. I'll try to find that. <laughs> I was going to say, the, I, know, for the viewers. I know I did one on a slow day at Spotlight where I did the cover of the Mighty Ducks. and Oh, you did too? Yeah, oh, I that's put right. your dad on there. Then I snuck you in there too. And I don't think you noticed it until I mentioned it. Wait, maybe I was thinking of your Photoshop. Oh, I don't know. I know Ryan. I think Ryan did one too. I don't he know. probably did too. But I just remember, yeah, slow day at Spotlight. I was like, oh, he really does look like him. I'm yeah. going to do this. But um, what about you? What what film families can you think of? Why can't I not remember stuff that we did together, Ben? I mean, I thought we You're such an <laughs> important part of my life. I'm the same way. I thought we went to every movie together. And yeah. Um, the first family that comes to my mind are, is the Coppolas. Mm. Oh, yeah. I mean, that family tree is huge. It, it spreads far. We've got Nick Cage in there. We've got Sophia. We've got Jason Schwartzman. I like your nurse's uniform, guy. These are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? I mean, it's just kind of expansive. And Francis. Yeah. Um. Yeah, not to mention. Not to mention the, the oh, what's his face, Francis oh, Ford. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess Coppola is cool. I mean, whatever. He ranks fourth, but he's awesome. Um, but I don't know. Coppola how much... Rushmore. <laughs> Top four Coppolas go. <laughs> I don't know how much. Why are they all Sophia? <laughs> I don't know how, if there's like a lot of collaboration there, though. Um, I mean, I think Sophia was in Godfather three. Genetically. Three. I think three. She might have been two also, know. but I yeah. Three. But then you know, like I also think about the Cohen brothers and the Safdie brothers, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I think there is something that's kind of special about a familial relationship and a shorthand and an understanding of how people's brains work that yeah. probably make it really handy to have. I like am- a collab partner i'm embarrassed to admit on a movie about podcasts that i forgot about the cohen brothers for this prompt i was like how like you said it and i just was like i should just log off (laughs) they're like they make all my favorite movies like well i didn't even really think about that angle of it and then when you said that it's like oh that's like the russo brothers they do stuff yes. together, you know? It's like, <laughs> I thought about it with the Coens because, you know, actors get interviewed. It's like, oh, who do you take direction from? It's like, well, they're both really just on the same page. So whoever you talk to, they have the same answer. So I don't know. Um, speaking of directors, what about you, Matt? Who we got? Um, I like the collaboration with James Gunn and his brother, Sean. Um, especially because, like, they, they needed a stand-in for Bradley Cooper for Rocket Raccoon. And mm-hmm. it's like, you have an Academy Award winning actor. It's like, who can stand in for this guy? My brother, my brother, Sean. Is there anything more fun than seeing him in like the green suit? <laughs> like, oh, just, no, like crouched down. Like, it is. I love every single behind the scenes shot we have of that. Oh, it's so great. Um, I also like Ron Howard and his brother seems mm. to. Clint. Lo- yeah, we just Clint. we just watched Solo. And he's yeah. like officiating the match. These droids have never had it so good. <laughs> that was uh, spot on, Clint. It really was. I'm working really? on that. I'm gonna be Clint for Halloween. <laughs> Can't um, wait. He's uh he's the like the flight controller in Apollo 13, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah, he's he's great. Um, a couple others I didn't list. Um, Adam Sandler puts his wife and daughter yeah. in oh, his yeah. movies. Oh yeah, now they've gotten older, which I think is sweet. And then, uh, you know, Tom Hanks 
I mean, he only has a couple directing credits to his name, but uh, I believe in Larry Crown, he fit in uh, Rita Wilson. So, yeah, true. Chet did not make it in, though. I don't know. I hesitate to talk about the Hanks family because they're that one of the Hanks family is responsible for white boy summer, <laughs> yeah. which bums me out. Oh. I'll love Tom Hanks forever, but he brought that That's into the so world bad. indirectly. But the other one <laughs> is responsible for orange County. So I think you yeah. know, we can balance it out. Cause it's a great movie. Um, my favorite Jack Black scene of all time. <laughs> oh of like, all, there's so many good ones, but yes, the t- the tummy drums will never not kill me. <laughs> Sean, phone. Like, no, it's me. Um, I'm just gonna it's just gonna be Orange County clips in this episode from here on out. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, yeah. Also, Rita Wilson. Shout out, Mix Nuts. Um, mm. The one I was surprised that you left off that I thought for sure was gonna be the first one is. Our favorite siblings, the Gyllenhaals. I was blown away. I, like, I, I left it off my list specifically because I, I thought you were going to mention. I know because yeah. initially I was thinking director and director and yeah, sibling. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But uh, the Gyllenhaals, of course. If, if we're talking siblings, I mean, I have everyone has heard me say it. There's not a Jake Gyllenhaal role in any movie that Maggie Gyllenhaal wouldn't have done better. It's very true. I do want to see the Maggie Gyllenhaal Nightcrawler. Oh my god, that would be so good. I want to see that very much. Yeah. And the Maggie Mysterio. Prince of Persia. Um, yep. Oh my god, that'd be so good. Uh speaking of the MCU, mine first one I thought of was the Hemsworth, just even just specifically that scene in Ragnarok, uh, when the lowest place Hemsworth is in there. The one from uh Westworld. <laughs> I forget his name, his real name. The 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 Liam's in the Hunger Games ones. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Them is it what matt it is now matt hemsworth (laughs) (laughs) old guy um yes we gave directors i thought about the nolan brothers too they obviously collabed a lot jonathan speaking of westworld was a writer and producer on that but together they wrote and directed memento the prestige dark knight dark knight rises and interstellar so it's a great uh duo there and then probably one of my favorite ones ever in a movie is ben and jerry stiller in zoolander i mean that's Mm -hmm. just like a the dynamic duo there and I mean, heavyweights and heavyweights yes mm-hmm. um is it also along came polly is, is jerry it, stiller is, is that? jerry stiller i think he I might be remember. um and i'm i feel horrible Doesn't right he now. say bitches be crazy quite possibly i'm trying to remember his mom's name stiller and mara like because well, oh, yeah, yeah i forget her first name but like she's the one that throws the egg i think at the red carpet i don't know she's in that too she's awesome um yeah, so I mean, the last thing I kind of wanted to talk about getting back to Strangers on a Train um, was really how much of this was done. I think Hitchcock really blended the practical and the special effects in this movie really well. Obviously, like the CG wasn't what it is now by any means. Vertigo, like we talked about, was the first time there's a computer animated, you know, sequence in a, a movie. Um, or it was just like an animated sequence, something like that. I don't know. Um, but I think the best. Uh, version of that was when he's strangling Miriam and it's like shown in the glasses and the reflection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was actually done with like this huge mirror, you know, in a studio that they just like, they filmed it through that and then, you know, superimposed yeah. it over the glasses. I guess they did like seven takes cause she kept falling too fast. You know, he kept telling her to like, like float to the ground. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, I just, <laughs> I can't float. So 
I guess on the seventh take, they finally got it. And he was like, cut next shot. And they just like moved on. And I guess like she just like she was pretty beat up from falling like six <laughs> times before that. But um, and then the special effects of using the the carousel with like the rear projection. I guess they had filmed like a toy carousel kind of going off the rails. And that's what they had shown in there. Um, but I just wanted to have a little discussion about our, our feelings of like the practical effects versus the digital effects. The first one, the main one I ever think of is Star Wars. I think that's just kind of the a difference in the feeling of like the original trilogy mm-hmm. and the prequels, like we talked about. Um, and our next week's episode, our May the fourth episode coming out. Um, we talked about that a little bit. And even the practical use, like in Lord of the Rings with the force perspective of Gandalf just being huge, but really it's just like the way that they had set Frodo far away. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. I think it's cool, like the magic that you can pull off inside a camera lens. Matt, yeah. I kind of wanted to throw to you to kind of get your thoughts on, you know, the practical versus the the special effects. Yeah, I mean, I I'm a big fan of like really I, I really admire really well done special effects. Um CGI, like I love it when there's a really great like leap forward or accomplishment in CGI. Um I feel like the film industry jumped way too early into it. Um Yeah. They got way too confident in it in like the mainstream, like in the front, I guess, in the foreground of their movies. Um, but if for a stranger on a train, um, I think they used like their their trick photography like super well. And when it comes to practical effects, I feel like there's there's an integrity that it brings for the audience and for the actors. I feel like actors are able to interact with it better. Um, it's more believable for them. And the more bought in they are, the more bought in we are. Mm, and yeah. then even in in the trick photography instances where like, okay, they're maybe acting 15 feet apart to have like one appear taller than the other. At least the audience sees like the real physics, the real lighting, and there's less yeah. gymnastics that you have to put together. Like even when, even when something's done really well, sometimes it just feels off and you don't know why. And you maybe don't even consciously recognize it, but that will sit with you. And so with practical effects, you just, you don't have that and you just get to sit back and enjoy it. So that's my take on it. Yeah. I, uh, I agree wholeheartedly with everything you just said, especially like with, uh, the way that your brain perceives what you're watching, um, when it's real versus digital. And it reminds me a lot of the argument between 24 frames and 34 or 30 frames per second. And I know Tarantino, I think, has like a talk where he talks about the dreamlike nature Mm -hmm. of 24 frames per second because there's a little bit of motion blur and stuff. And I think I think it's a similar concept to practical versus digital effects, a lot like you were saying, Matt, because you get the real physics. It's you don't have to try and match the lighting. The lighting is matched Mm -hmm. and the actors there's like a tangible connection because the actors are in the room together versus staring at a tennis ball or whatever. Mm, yeah. And I think our, I think our brains are good at picking that up, whether it's subconsciously or consciously, I think you can tell when something is real, you know, versus, you know, digitally imposed. Um, with that said, there are times that I can remember like we, we just went and saw Jurassic park. Uh, all, all four of us were there. And those like the dinosaurs the the cgi dinosaurs still look incredible and i know they used a mix of uh like puppetry and animatronics as well as cgi uh it still looks really good and in the moment when i saw it i thought 
those giant T-Rexes, I thought they were giant animatronic puppets. Yeah. I, I really did. I, I didn't know they were CGI until I saw it uh, this last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's times when it works. I think the Marvel movies do a really good job. It's one of my favorite things about them mm-hmm. is the fact that you know, the people that grew up loving comic books so much finally get to see it be real, you Mm -hmm. know, and it feels real and it looks real and it's believable beyond like, you know, Superman, obviously just hanging, sitting on his stomach on a stool and having a wind blow his cape, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, uh, so there's times that it works and there's times that it holds up. I just think it's really hard to do. And, uh, I think, it, it, I just think, you know, if the more that we can keep things practical and tangible and real, I think we're better for it. But I agree with Matt that like CGI is great for backgrounds and finishing touches and, mm-hmm. you know, that, that sort of thing. But when it's, when the CGI is supposed to be the main object, I think it's where it gets a little wonky. Yeah. Kind of a less is more situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Well, the, the movie that, I'm thinking of when we're talking about this is Eternal Sunshine. Oh yeah, mm. and a lot of that stuff I was done like on set and yeah. you know in camera, and I, you know, Matt mentioned that it's got to be better for the actors and their performances are obviously better for it, but it's got to be kind of fun to like feel like it's a collaborative sort of thing mm-hmm. and there's right. something tangible there. Like Jim Carrey is actually like sitting under this giant table, and so like the yeah, it, I don't know. It, it's there's a magic in the mm-hmm. set, so the yeah. it, that magic comes mm-hmm. through in the in the camera. Exactly. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I think Michelle Gondry is probably like the best recent example of a director who utilizes practical effects mm-hmm. in an amazing way. Like he's he's so good at that. The science of sleep, like all that yeah. stuff. Like he's you know he's doing so much of it in a practical sense and that just adds to the movie um I, yeah i think jurassic park talking point is really good i was thinking about that as well um also again to tease next week's episode talking about solo i think when you have phoebe waller bridge on set you know kind of half in that costume of l3 but the rest in kind of the green suit you're able, yeah. you're able to get that dynamic and mm-hmm. that stuff that you just can't get in the recording booth, you right. know, like they can kind of like banter back and forth. Um, same with K2SO in, in rogue one, I forget that actor's name. Um, but I, I just think how, if they're able to be on set interacting, it, it helps so much more. And I just think we are finally at a place where you can do that because yeah, back in the day, it was just like a tennis ball and a pole and that's hard to interact with, but now mm-hmm. you can have the actors there. I think the whole movie this is a horrible example, but I don't know. I just came to my mind. But like the whole movie Rango was done with all of them, like kind of like in their green suits. And then they just like, they made them all the characters in this animated movie. But to that extent, I think it kind of shows like their actual physical movements pretty well, you know, where it's not just like yeah. made mm-hmm. up for the animation, but um, yeah. Well, and, and I mean, I think you're, I, I didn't really even know, realize this until we started talking about it, but I think you're spot on. I mean, there's the famous Ian McKellen quote when he went into film the Hobbit and he cried because he was just in front of a green screen by himself talking to a tennis ball. Mm-hmm. And he, he said, this is not what acting is about. It's about actually reacting to the person opposite you, you yeah. know, in the scene. And I think it like going along with like what Ashley was saying for eternal sunshine. And like when you're, when you're Jim Carrey sitting under that giant table, like that just feels fun and it feels 
it feels real. So it's going to come through. So if you're having a real connection with someone, whether it's Rango or it's the Lord of the Rings, you know, it's, that's going to come through. And I think we pick up on that, whether we know it or not. Yeah. You you know, you just know, you don't know how to, you don't know why, but it, it just, there's a difference for sure. Because it's real. There's a, there's a genuine connection there. Have any of you guys seen the BBC series extras with uh, Ricky Gervais? Have you seen the one with uh, Ian McKellen? It's super funny. He get like so. uh, the David Brand character goes to audition for a play, and Ian McKellen hands him a script. He's like, "Just so you're aware, you cannot have this script with you on stage. You have to memorize this." He's like, "Yeah, no, I know how it works. Like, again, <laughs> you you have to memorize all of this. You cannot read this on stage." He's like, "Yeah, no, I get. Like, it's I don't know. It's I love that scene so much, and uh, yeah, the scene with Patrick Stewart. That whole that series is great. Um, I kind of just wanted to end the episode as we're ending this Hitchcock round and kind of get everyone's general thoughts um, either on this movie. If there's some stuff you kind of want to talk about that we didn't hit on how you felt about the Hitchcock round. And while I don't think we'll do a Hitchcock round again, I'm curious if you guys, um, I don't know if you're going to pick another Hitchcock movie, if we'll work it into whatever qualifiers we have down the road. Um, kind of, yeah. Curious to hear what you guys think, Matt. I'll throw it to you. It's it's hard to want to move on from this round. Um, yeah, we've done a lot of great rounds and I, I've liked um, I mean, I've liked every round, honestly, but it, it's fun to have these categories. I feel like I wasn't anticipating enjoying this round as much as I as it was. And I also realized that I mean, I've seen a decent amount of Hitchcock movies, but I didn't realize how many I haven't seen. And so I feel like there's work left unfinished here as we move on. And so I'm excited to revisit, um, to come back around. Um, as far as last thoughts, um, if you're someone who loves trains, check out strangers on a train. Um, there is a train in it. It's not about trains. (laughs) Um, also check out the Apu trilogy. That's a great train movie. Please do pick up. Speaking of trilogies, that was. And the before trilogy. uh, I yeah mm-hmm. I I loved this round so much and every time a movie was over I just was like kind of like you said Matt I'm like damn it I'm sad we have to move on from Hitchcock and I mentioned to you guys after the movie uh, after we watched Jurassic Park and I like I know I can pick movies outside of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> I know if I can but I'm just like I just felt so sad that I only got to watch those three because it just was such a blast and I, you know I've enjoyed a lot of rounds uh trilogies round was really fun mm-hmm. uh spike lee round was really cool uh i mean you know we're doing the we're having a blast doing this podcast yeah we hope that shows through like and subscribe uh five stars please. on <laughs> apple podcast please but uh yeah i just I, i'm sure i'm gonna watch more i i definitely want to see like the birds and rope and rear window and that sort of thing yeah um but it is sad to leave it. I mean, I think we could easily do another round of Hitchcock and, and I think we'd be happy. I don't know if the listeners, would, but, <laughs> um, and on a last note of, or for Hitchcock, I just think it's funny how much easier it was to get away with shit back in the day. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's just a thing they had to do for the movies or if that was actually how easy it was to get away with crime in the fifties. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure yeah. it was, there wasn't it's DNA like- analysis and, you know modern day forensic techniques yeah. but it's see chuck chuck like, that oh, has the lighter that, he said he didn't have it he doesn't have it doesn't have the lighter didn't oh, you hear a girl 
there's a girl dead by the merry-go-round like <laughs> let's just let everyone walk about like we're not gonna just we'll talk about it tomorrow ask for witnesses like we'll figure it out later i don't know it's too dark <laughs> but it's just crazy yeah <laughs> well that whole like thing about the lighter and like having that be the proof that he did it yeah, it was so right. thin like <laughs> so it, flimsy no way that would have like held up at all yeah. and he just like oh yeah you have my lighter that's i and the motive yeah me. yeah yeah just like oh yeah my wife took it that's why it was here oh okay got it. <laughs> sure but yeah there's so many things you know with modern day stuff you know where it's like well i mean i guess there's no security cameras at the train station because that would have mm-hmm. solved this or you know, now, yeah. now with movies, you have to try to find a way to make the cell phone not work because that just solves so many yeah. problems now. Like all those eighties movies, you know, or <laughs> home alone like, or anything like that. It's like, well, just call them like, yeah, it's like in, uh, like in North by Northwest, they're looking for, I can't remember the guy's name and they're already suspicious of the woman. I can't remember her name either. And they go into a room. It's like, is he in here? No. Ah, fine. Like, no. like, they don't the search the room at all. Like, <laughs> yeah. they don't, why didn't they just search every train car? Like, it's just I don't know, yeah. just, or every room. It's just so funny to me. Um, but yeah. it's also believable, you know. Like, I'm sure it was that way, and you know, it's true. It, it doesn't. It, it's not like, uh, you know, it doesn't take you out of the story, or take you out of the movie at all. But it's just something you note. Like, damn, it was a good time to be a criminal in the fifties. One hundred percent. As someone who watched all three with us, what were your thoughts on the Hitchcock round? I loved this round. I'm also sad that it's over. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, he's he's one of those, I think, filmmakers that is so distinguished and influential and huge. And any other one, like any other Criterion or AFI stuff, it's like, I don't know, this might be a little bit over my head, like, but his stuff is so digestible and fun and funny. And so it's just been super fun. That's a really good point. And I think it's one of the reasons I compared him to Jordan Peele, Mm -hmm. because despite how much is going on in those movies, you, you, you enjoy it despite not knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whereas with Hitchcock, it's, it's sort of the same, like you're enjoying it even though it's a little bit easier to digest and figure out what's going on, there's not quite as much subtext, although there is some, yeah. it's just like, like you said, it's not going over your head. You're not tr- You don't have to like be a film critic to understand these movies. They're just really fun. And they're also just so goddamn good and well-crafted and it's, yeah. it's a real Testament to what the guy can do. I mean, that was the most telling, I think uh, endorsement of this round was after we watched North by Northwest when you were like, I'll come on for strangers. Cause I really enjoy this. I'm like, Oh cool. Like, <laughs> volunteered for a movie we haven't even watched yet just because of how the first two have gone so i think yeah. yeah yeah this hitchcock round has been a lot of fun um i'm glad to say i finally have seen vertigo in its entirety so <laughs> i love strangers on a train and north by northwest was just it was man it was so good to see that um the only thing i want to bring up from this movie is that that guy crawling under the carousel was not a trick shot they actually made that guy do that <laughs> and my favorite line with hitchcock talking about that he's like if that had, if that guy had lifted, lifted his head a couple more inches it would have gone from a thriller to a horror movie <laughs> it's like, yeah and, that, and it's a really good uh, representation of practical versus cgi because now yeah. that scene would be you oh know, yeah some sort of uh at least some sort of like a uh, super imposition mm-hmm. is that a word yeah yeah i think it's superimposing great. of shots you know and 
the dynamism it, it, wouldn't have been there if this it was would not um, have had the dynamism, would not have had the dynamism that we expect from Alfred all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah just that dude like just he worked at the fair like he wasn't a stuntman and an actor he's just like I'll yeah i'll go under there like okay so cool. yeah his his line when he jumped under there was like i can do it then he does it I, I bet that's exactly how it went yeah hitchcock's like who the fuck is gonna do this i can do I can it do he's it. like yeah the way. perfect <laughs> it's a good thing we were rolling because that guy's just going now but. Yeah. Yeah, that, was, that was live <laughs> yeah. right. well this is canon now i guess um yeah no i've, I've loved the hitchcock round i yeah, wouldn't be opposed to doing it again but definitely you know depending on what our qualifiers are that we get into next i will we'll be trying to find a way to get a hitchcock into it because i think the more we can see of him the better i've really enjoyed it yeah um so much fun but yeah cool thanks everyone for listening to our hitchcock round um we're going to continue our director's rounds next time we are going into kubrick right we're kicking it off with the shining i believe is our yeah, yeah we're gonna next week is uh, may the fourth be with you we're doing a star wars episode but after that yeah we're getting to kubrick with uh the shining which will be a lot of fun to talk about and then after that mm-hmm. we're getting to some of our not so seen spielberg movies um so yeah i'm stoked thank you for coming on Thanks is there for having me. anything you'd like to say um i know you don't want to promote your instagram because you <laughs> shut that down last time no one of my favorite <laughs> yeah, me. <laughs> uh no just it's, it's fun as always thanks for having me back on well yeah, i'm glad you're here if you want to hear her answers to our guest questions, you can go to our clubhouse playlist on YouTube um, and see how she answered all those. But yeah, thanks again, everyone for your support. Uh, like Tyler said earlier, like, and subscribe rate review, all that stuff really helps us just tell your friends about us, whatever you yeah, want to do tell a friend or two that, that would be super helpful. So this community is growing and we're loving it. And, you know, we had our first in-person screening for all of our patrons, but next time I think we want to oh, open it up, so you know, so soul. it felt so good to be in a theater, but mm-hmm. it was a blast. So yeah, thank you for listening and we will see you next week. See ya. What's your name? Uh, Joe. John. What is uh, it? Joe John. Name's Joe John? Johnston. Johnston. Joe. You want to tell me what happened here? Uh, there's a fire. I don't know. I came by and was checking out the fire. Well, that lady, uh, Mona, she said that you two were in the building when the fire started. Yeah, she's a liar, because I don't know her. So whatever, whatever she says is a lie, so. Okay, so you're saying you weren't in the building with that woman? No, not I. All right. She started it, all right? Because she was like, I hate my job. I'm going to burn this mother down. And I said, you better not. You better not. She said it was an electrical fire. It was. It was a total electrical fire.